You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Visit us online at www.xzone-radio.com. The X-Zone Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're still coming to you live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to give us a call, our lines are open at one 877 That's toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii at one 877 My email address is xzone at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.xzoneradio.com and xzonetv.com. My guest this hour is J. Allen Danilik, and we've had J. Allen on before. I've received an email from him about the analysis of the ABC primetime special called The Outsiders. Last night we had Stan Romanek on talking about his uh, the book that he co-authored with uh, J. Allen Danilek entitled Messages, the World's Most Documented Extraterrestrial Contact Story. And um, I'm going to bring J. Allen on right now. And J. Allen, always great talking to you here on the X-Zone. And I was wondering if you could uh, tell me, uh, you know, what really ticked you off about the ABC uh, interview and the special? Well, thanks for having me on, Rob. Um, I just was uh, very surprised that ABC told really only half the story Mm-hmm. Uh, and that they omitted so much of the uh, verifying evidence uh, that made it look like uh, Stan uh, was making stuff up or uh, these things hadn't really happened to him. I find it hard to believe that a person who has been shot at, beat up, has had their privacy um, intruded on, telephone conversations tapped, his house broken into, 
Uh, this certainly doesn't seem to be the the M.O. of someone who is making all this up. No, that's what uh, uh, surprised me so much about uh, the story, how they did it, because they spent a lot of time sitting down talking to Stan, looking at his evidence, going mm -hmm. through all the footage, and for them to come around and uh, just sort of dismiss eight years' worth of uh, remarkable events uh, as you know, sleep paralysis or even outright hoaxing, I thought was really unprofessional. Why do you think there are members of the mainstream media who take a look at the experiences of people such as Stan who, who have gone through so much in their life ever since they, they, they started talking about their encounters, their experiences? Why don't you think they take a more serious look at the case? I don't know. I think sometimes there's a degree of fear involved with it. Uh, you know, really, if you have to say something's going on in Stan's life, then you have to you open a lot of doors, a lot of things that you have to kind of go down and explore. And I think it's a lot easier uh, to just kind of ignore the whole thing and just assume it's it's all a, a scam than it is to really take it seriously and examine the evidence and, and take it where it leads you. Now, when did you and uh, Stan first meet, and w under what circumstances were they? Well, let's see, I probably met Stan about, oh, probably about three years ago. Uh, there's a group here in Denver called the uh, Paranormal Research Forum, and I got involved with that, and I was asked to give some lectures there, mm -hmm. and uh, Stan was a regular attendee there, and we got to meet over dinner and got to talk about his story. And uh, frankly, at first, I was pretty skeptical uh, about abductions and all these different things. And I, I thought Stan was a nice guy and honest and everything, but I really didn't believe the story. And then as I got together with him a couple of other times after that and began to uh, examine this story in more detail, I became increasingly impressed with the degree of evidence that he was uh, showing me. Jay Allen, you and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Great having you back on the show, my friend. Jay Allen Danlick is our special guest, and uh, we're talking about how the media misrepresents the facts when it comes to UFOs and alien abductions. My name's Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. We'll be back on the other side in two minutes. Don't go away. Alan Danilek is our special guest this hour. We're talking about an article that he sent us that uh, we're going to be publishing in the uh, September issue of the X Chronicles entitled An Analysis of the ABC Primetime Special, The Outsiders. Uh, Jay Allen, do you have a copy of the letter, the article that you wrote handy? Uh, yeah, I have it. Uh, I have it here. All right, why don't you read it to the Exxon Nation? Okay, hold on a second. I might have to... Uh pull it up here real quickly um, by the way I, I think it's an excellent article yeah okay 
All right, it's about a little over 1,500 words. I don't know if you want me to read the whole thing here or... We'll give, we'll give it a shot. Uh, excerpts from it or what? Let's start at the beginning. Are you still there? I'm still here, yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello, Jay Allen Danilek. Hello. Are you there, Jay? What did we do? Are you there, Jay Allen Danilek? Apparently, we might be having some uh, problems. Um, maybe his battery is dead in his uh, his phone. But what I'll do is I'll start reading it. It's an analysis of the ABC primetime special, The Outsiders. As the co-author of Stan Romnick's recent book, Messages, the world's most documented extraterrestrial contact story, I was looking forward to the long-awaited ABC special detailing his unique case. When it finally aired on the evening of August 18, I, along with much of America, watched with great anticipation, assuming that I would see a truly objective and balanced approach to Stan's remarkable story. I was, I was soon to be badly disappointed. Do we have him back? No. I yeah, guess. I'm right here. Oh, 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 okay. He's kind of clicked off on me here. All right, great. Uh, uh, so uh, I was, I just started to read the, uh, I read the first uh, paragraph, and if you'd like okay. to take the second one. Yeah, I, okay, I wrote that. I know the subject matter, alien abductions, is a controversial one, but as one who has an insider's view of the entire case and was privy to the massive amounts of evidence Stan possesses that support his story, I thought ABC would do its best to demonstrate the veracity of, it, of the story. After all, they had tremendous amounts of material to choose from, from video footage and still photos to eyewitness accounts and even phone recordings of a mysterious electronic voice giving Stan advice about how to handle the visitors. Little or none of this was made it made it into the piece, however. What I did see, however, was a first-class hatchet job that barely deserves the title of investigative reporting. Uh, what was wrong? Well, for starters, the reporter, uh, Juju Chang, looked like she would rather have been doing something else, really anything else, besides talking to Stan and Lisa about their experiences. It was clear by her pointed questions and general demeanor that she was not buying any of it, even on a hypothetical level. As far as she was concerned, Stan was making the whole thing up and insinuated such at every turn. I especially found her question to Lisa as to why she hadn't divorced Stan years earlier to be not only crass and unprofessional, but insulting. What was he, she supposed to say? Yeah, I thought of dumping the guy lots of times, but just never seemed to get around to it. All right, now, taking that attitude, and after you, how long was the interview? Well, to see, there was our show of which probably about... 70% of it uh, dealt with Stan specifically. So the interview, probably uh, the actual question and answer periods, probably not even five, ten minutes. And what kind of, uh, what, what, how much of Stan's evidence did they actually show during the interview? Just a few stills. They showed some footage that he took of the uh, kind of uh, glowing red orb he saw uh, mm -hmm. back in 2001. Uh, a few seconds of the uh of the silver craft he saw in 2000, and that was pretty much the extent of it. Oh, he also showed a brief uh, look at the uh, the little alien looking over the windowsill. Right. For about two or three seconds of that. That was about the extent of what they showed. Why, you know, like when we're talking about the, um, the contactees and, and how they're treated, not only by the media, but friends and relatives alike, how should we deal with people who claim to have been abducted by aliens? Well, you know, initially it's just a story. 
You know, you can't really do anything with a story. But with Stan, he's got, you know, physical evidence that, um, that supports the story. And at that point, it becomes a different issue. Now it's not just a story if somebody mm-hmm. told you. Now you've got something to work with. And that's what you need to do. You have to follow the trail where it leads you, regardless of your own personal opinions about it, and just kind of see what happens. So why don't you think ABC took that stance? Well, I think to really do the story right, it would have been hours and hours. You know, they would have really needed to get in-depth with it. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I can't tell you what the politics at ABC are, how people think there. But my guess is that if they came out in support of Stan's story, it probably was going to catch a lot of flack mm-hmm. from mainstream science in the mainstream uh, media as, as being, uh, you know, ABC is going a little bit wacko on them. So that would be my guess. What is the messages that Stan is receiving and that the visitors are giving Stan to give to the world? Well, the, the message is pretty standard that you see in a lot of abduction uh, encounters, the idea that uh, we are an evolving race, that we have a lot of potential if we're just careful, mm-hmm. uh, that they're here really more or less sort of watching us and observing us, uh, making sure that we don't... Uh, get in too much trouble. Um, it's a pretty consistent message throughout most abductees, I think. one 877 is toll-free. J. Allen Danilik is our special guest. And um, do, you, do you think that there are as many alien abductions going on today, J. Allen, as that were reported in the late 80s, early 90s? I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to tell uh, how many people have actually come forward with their stories, mm-hmm. how many people uh, are suffering from genuine dream paralysis, because I don't believe every abduction story is necessarily uh, an alien abduction. I think there are other explanations we need to examine. Uh, it, it really depends on, on uh, how people perceive their, their treatment. If they think that people are going to be more open to it, they're more likely to come forward with it. And really, until recently, it's, it's been very difficult for most people to, uh, to take that step. Why is it, then, that these visitors only select a few people instead of making full disclosure and landing? It's like I was talking yesterday to a guest of the thing. Why don't they just land in the, on the White House lawn and in front of Parliament here in Canada and say, we're here, that's it, bang, get it over with? Well, you know, that's the question I've talked to Stan. You know, why him specifically? Mm-hmm. Uh, why not other people? And he doesn't know. Uh, however, to answer your the bigger question, why they don't just show themselves to us, I deal with this in my own book on UFOs that I wrote uh, kind of a long time, uh, same time as Stan's, that talks about how uh, it would uh, institute a degree of panic through our, our world. I think that even if only 10% of the population panicked, mm-hmm you're still talking 600 million people around the world. You know, that's a lot of people panicking all at once. But don't you think it would would be better off if full disclosure was made and that if the government is suppressing any information that they come clean because it it, it certainly would answer a lot of questions and stop a lot of speculation. And in my mind, it would improve the situation instead of the deteriorating situation that we see unfolding each and every day. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know uh, what the government knows. So a lot of it is is uh, speculation. Mm-hmm. How much does the government really have about this? You know, what, what do they know that they're not telling us? 
what can they tell us that won't really compromise national security? For example, suppose they have some kind of uh, uh, satellite footage that they have acquired using a top-secret satellite. Uh, how can they reveal this information without also uh, demonstrating that they possess a particular technology that we don't want our enemies to know about? So once again, it comes under the uh, guise of national security. To some degree. Also, it's the idea once you let that genie out of the bottle, mm -hmm. then you never really get enough because everybody's going to want more information. Well, what else are you not telling us? What else are you not telling us? Pretty soon, uh, I don't know if it would do any good at this point. The people's opinion of the government is, is obviously so bad now that I don't think there's much that can be done to improve it. You know, I, I was just thinking that even if the government held a press conference and uh, our prime minister and your president were standing in front of the the national media, and uh, let's say President Obama said to the media, "All right, you've been asking for the truth about what your government knows about UFOs and extraterrestrials." Well, here it is: we don't know anything. Now, even if that was the God-honest truth, no one would believe them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when the Air Force came clean with uh, Project Mogul in mm -hmm. 1995, they finally declassified it as a way of explaining Roswell. It was immediately rejected by most ufologists as just another attempt by the government to, to sweep it under the carpet. So regardless of whether it was a legitimate uh, excuse or not, People are already pretty well fixed in how they're going to look at it, and they're going to be predisposed to, to re uh, disregard it all anyway. Tell me, what do you think happened at Roswell? Honestly, after looking through it all, uh, I really think it was a mogul balloon that went down, and the stories got just so blown out of proportion. Other people came along and embellished it, mm -hmm. people that were later demonstrated to not be telling the truth, but that the, once it becomes part of the mythology, it's awfully hard to get rid of it. I think that there are some excellent stories out there, but I don't think Roswell is the strongest of them. What do you think is the strongest story? Well, I think that some of the, uh, uh, the things that the military have probably in their possession in terms of uh, radar analysis, uh, gun camera information, things that they have actually, you know, when they chase these things, because this is good, solid evidence. Uh, there was a, an incident over Belgium back in the 1980s where a, uh, uh, a craft was spotted and chased by NATO fighters, and they got a lot of this on radar, on, on gun camera information, all these kinds of things like this. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff I think that you, you need to really look at seriously and try to explain rather than go looking for 60-year-old you know, balloons. Jay Allen, Danilek, please stand by. You and I have to take our commercial break with the news at the bottom of the hour. one 877 is toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. In uh, the next hour, we're going to be talking to Sue Storm, the angel lady who will be doing angel readings for one and all who give us a call at one 877 My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon on the Talk Star Radio Network. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Visit us online at www.xzone-radio.com.
My name is Michael Kelsar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Linda, and you're listening to my dad, Ron McConnell, on the XM. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Jay Allen Danilix, our special guest. And uh, Jay Allen, how did you become involved in the uh, world of the paranormal? Well, I think it's something that uh, stuck with me all the way from my childhood. I was always fascinated with uh, UFOs mm-hmm. and Bigfoot and ghosts and things like that. And when I decided to get into writing as a career, uh, I just naturally, uh, you know, you go with your strengths, which you know. And so I started to uh, research this and, and found it to be a fascinating area of, and uh the, the rest, as they say, is history. You mentioned Bigfoot. Uh, what is your what is your take on Bigfoot, and why do you think Bigfoot, to this very day, has remained so elusive? Well, you know, it's always been something I've wondered about. I, I do believe there's a, an excellent possibility that there's an unknown primate. Uh, the reason it hasn't been found yet, the only thing I can think of that makes sense is that this thing is more human than animal. And if it really is that intelligent, and it already has these these animal instincts in terms of uh, eyesight, smelling, hearing, right. uh, it should be able to remain hidden pretty well, uh, for the most part, if it's if it's serious about staying hidden. So I, I think it's going to hear us a long time before we ever find it. So it's already gone. It doesn't want to come out. How about the Patterson-Gimlin film? Uh, what is your uh, opinion of that as far as validity is concerned? Well, I've been really watching closely these different shows on TV where they've been dissecting it frame by frame and comparing it to actual people walking and things like that. And I think that the evidence is really coming down hard that this is not a guy in a suit. I know there are people out there who will argue to the depth about this, but my impression from watching it, and of course I'm not a naturalist or anything, it's just an opinion, but to me it looks a little bit too complex uh, for just some guy in a hairy suit, you know, with a with a football helmet on with hair on it. So I really think it's probably legitimate. In your opinion, after doing all the writing that you've done and research into the paranormal, what is the most um, interesting aspect of the paranormal for you? Well, you know, what's really led me... Um, down the path that's been interesting has been reincarnation and ghosts and the whole idea of post-mortem existence and how it works mm-hmm. 
And I think that that has been the thing that I've I've taken the most from the paranormal and made my own, just in terms of my own understanding of my purpose here on life, on Earth and, and what happens to us when we die. As far as you believe, what happens to us when we die? Well, I believe that the, the soul or the personality, if you will, is an uh, emanation of the soul. I don't believe it can be destroyed. I, I think the soul is immortal. And I think the personality will linger for a while when we die. It's eventually absorbed back into the, the mother's soul, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And so what happens, those are where ghosts come from. These are entities that haven't made that transition back into the, the, the higher self, and they're still kind of stuck in this sort of twilight zone between the two worlds. Sort of stuck in limbo? Yeah, in a way. I think there's a transition zone that gives you a chance to acclimate yourself to a new spiritual reality. But if you don't move through it all the way and stay there, you're going to have like one foot in the physical realm and one foot in the spirit realm and not really be a citizen of either one. Sherry from Little Rock, Arkansas, would like to know what, you, what your views are on 2012. Well, it's interesting you should ask because I have a book coming out in November on 2012 where I look at this, this prophecies, not just these prophecies concerning 2012, but prophecies going back over several centuries, uh, doomsday prophecies. Uh, my own position on 2012 is that uh, I think it's really much ado about very little. Mm -hmm. I really think it was a, uh, a Mayan calendar ending date. But how much significance it has, you know, we really can't tell. We don't know really how the minds looked at it. We don't, I don't see there's any reason that we need to imagine that there's one day where everything's going to change. Um, I, I do believe that our planet is in a transition phase. It is moving towards a, a enlightenment. But I don't think that's something that's going to happen on a particular day. I think it's a progressive thing that happens over decades or even centuries. I know that according to one Mayan princess, uh, she has come out and said, nothing's going to happen. It's just an ordinary day like any other day. The calendar ended, and it starts again. Yeah, it's kind of like when your car's odometer hits 100,000 yeah. miles. You know, your car doesn't explode. It just picks up again at one and just keeps going. And I think kind of the same thing's going to happen on December 22nd, 2012. It's just going to start, you know, it's just going to keep going. Have you ever seen a ghost? I have seen something that I couldn't quite explain what it was. I'm always hesitant to say, ah, there's a ghost, you know. But uh, when I was on board the Queen Mary, I uh, one evening I was walking mm -hmm. through the hallways and I saw something that appeared to be a uh, about a basketball-sized glob of gray mass uh, ahead of me in the in the hallway. And as I got closer to it, it just kind of scooched around the corner. And by the time I got there, it vanished. And I don't know what it was. I can't say it was a ghost. Mm -hmm. But to this day, I have no idea what it was. Do you think that the spirit world is trying to communicate with this side of the veil more and more and more? Well, I think that as people are more open to uh, these experiences, I think people are taking these, these encounters more seriously. Now, I don't know if the spirit world in itself is trying to be more vocal, but I do think that there are individuals who are uh, trapped in the spirit realm who may be trying to communicate with us. The difference is nowadays we're just more open to listening to them, what they're saying. So how do you foresee the world of the future? Boy, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, 
how I see it, I, I don't know. I tend to be an optimist. I think that we're going to work our way through our problems. Uh, we're going to have, you know, setbacks and, uh, you know, bad things are going to happen periodically. But as I look over the whole breadth of human history in the last three or 4,000 years, you know, I, I think that we're in a lot better shape than we have been in, in our, any point in our history. You know, uh, slavery's abolished for the most part. I mean, we live longer, healthier lives. Uh, you know, if you compare things to just a hundred years ago, you can see a huge improvement, and I think that's going to continue to happen. Another one of our listeners, her name is Sandy. Sandy's listening to us in Tampa, Florida. Sandy would like to know, uh, where does her email go? Oh, she would like to know about the Bermuda Triangle. How come there have been no reports of any missing aircraft or ships? in recent history from the Bermuda Triangle? Well, I think that's because the Bermuda Triangle is probably not really a mystery at all. Uh, I, I think that this was another contrived creation of very fertile imaginations back in the 60s. And uh, I don't think there's anything particularly significant about the Bermuda Triangle other than the fact that it's such a heavily traveled area, mm -hmm. both by air and, and sea that you're naturally going to have a higher percentage of, of small boats and small craft disappear there than you would in other places that were less, uh, you know, less traveled. Why do you think so many people today, Jay Allen, are turning to the paranormal for answers they can't get anywhere else? Well, I think that's a great question. I, I think that I can only answer why I turned towards the, the spiritual realm more. Uh, uh -huh. I came out of a traditional Christian background. I think that the, the old answers just aren't working anymore. They're not giving you uh, all the, uh, you know, the real solutions to our life's problems. They're, they're giving you just kind of canned answers and saying, you know, believe this and don't question it. And I think people are starting to get to the point where they're, they're brave enough now to actually explore other avenues. And even if they don't take them where they want to be, at least they feel that they're, they're able to at least ask those questions where they couldn't do it, you know, 50 years ago. You wrote a book on UFOs, and it, based on your research and the book that you wrote, what is the most compelling case for the existence of extraterrestrials that you've been able to uh, find? Well, my book wasn't really a, a book about different UFO stories. I wanted to work more the theory of it, uh, you know, why they would come here, that kind of a thing. I, I can't really name any one particular incident I mm -hmm. think that is uh, the best I mentioned the one uh, briefly about the uh, the NATO planes chasing uh, something over Belgium a few years ago that I thought was very compelling. But it's not any one case that said, ah, that must be, you know, that's the golden UFO story. That's the one that makes me believe. I think it's a cumulative effect over a, length, uh, over a period of time which tells me that something's going on uh, that can't be explained away as a weather balloon all the time. At the beginning of the year, there was that Stevensville sighting of a massive UFO. What's your take on that? Well, you know, the thing is, I'm always real leery of these things because they take on a life of their own. So somebody sees something, they call it, and it makes the media, and then almost immediately everybody else starts seeing the same thing. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't anything there because, I don't know, I wasn't there, uh, so I can't tell you if there was something. But I'm also aware of the fact that people have a tendency to to see what they're looking for mm -hmm. and if they see something they can't explain many people have a tendency to immediately 
look for the most complex answer, you know, extraterrestrials, rather than trying to figure out, okay, am I looking at an airplane? Am I looking at Venus? Am I looking at uh, something else that can be explained? Or is it definitely, a, you know, a flying saucer? So it's our perception of what we're seeing. Well, exactly. I mean, that's been the big problem with the whole paranormal um, field. Whenever I investigate something, I have to wade through kind of the sensationalism yeah. and the hyperbole and the exaggeration, try to get to the base core truth of these things. And, and that's always been the hardest part because there's so much stuff to wade through that just is people's imaginations or desires or fears, uh, you know, and, and it just kind of gets in the way of what's really out there. Now, with all these ghost groups that are popping up everywhere, they're calling themselves researchers, investigators, detectives, hunters, you name it, they've got a name for it. How do you think that this is affecting the, the field of the paranormal in general? Well, I'm always uh, you know, in favor of people wanting to go out there and do some serious research. I think that uh, when the ghost hunters came out on TV, mm -hmm. I think it got a lot of people uh, open to the idea of doing this. Now, the problem, of course, with that is you get a lot of the unstable people out there or, or the sensationalist people, and that kind of gets in the way again of the real research. But I'm always in favor of, of people wanting to look into these things, and the more eyes there are out there in different haunted locations, uh, the better the chances of finding that kind of definitive evidence that's going to make science look at the issue a little more seriously. To get science to look at the issue more seriously. Uh, don't you think then that the people who call themselves ghost hunters, ghost researchers, or ghost detectives, or whatever name they want to call themselves, should have a little bit of basic knowledge in the sciences before they go out trying to capture the all-important, uh, you know, proof that there, is, there are ghosts or that, yes, UFOs are real or that there is a Bigfoot. It seems that there seems to be a lack between wanting to become and then once they make that decision, they just declare themselves these experts with no experience at all. Yeah, that has always been a problem. You know, obviously you need to have some basic background, a good mm -hmm. foundation upon which to build. And you need really even more importantly some objectivity. The problem is, is that some people look at ghost hunting like a hobby or something that gives their life some real meaning, and so they're not looking at it as a scientific discipline. They're looking at it as, as uh, fun. A social outlet. And, yeah, a social outlet. So that's, that's where the real problem becomes uh, because I get zillions of people send me pictures of orbs yes. all the time, and they think they've caught ghosts. And it's because they haven't bothered to do their research and try to look at other explanations that I'm having to constantly send emails and say, no, I think you got a piece of dust in front of your lens, you know, and that kind of a thing. So, it, you know, I, I think it's just human nature to get excited about these mm -hmm. things and want your, some meaning in your life, but you also do need that foundation if you're going to be serious about it. Jay Allen, how many books do you have and when's your next book coming out? Well, right now I've got four books out. I've got the 2012 book I told you about coming yep. out here in November, and I've got a book about the airship uh, of 1897, mm. uh, some amazing incidents back then. Uh, they don't know what it was. That's coming out also in October. And I uh, even got another book on reincarnation coming out again next summer. So I'll have mm. about seven or eight books on the shelf by then. Excellent. Uh, once again, here, here's, I'm sure you get this question all the time. Why are so many people interested in reincarnation these days? 
Well, because it answers the question of what happens to us when we die. We, I, I think the old paradigm of heaven or hell uh, just isn't working with a lot of people anymore. They, they don't like the idea that you live a life, it's over, you spend eternity either you know, in heaven or in hell, wherever it is you end up. I think they, they are beginning to understand that there's a much bigger purpose going on, a much, a much, many more things are happening behind the scenes, and that's why I think reincarnation is appealing to people so much. J.L. and Danilik is our special guest, and uh, J.L. and Danilik and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Welcome back, everyone. Jeff Danlix, our special guest. His website is www.ourcuriousworld.com. That's www.ourcuriousworld.com. On his website, you have all the books that he's written. You can order them directly from there. And once again, that is www.ourcuriousworld.com. Atlantis. Was Atlantis real or was it just a myth, Jeff? Well, can't really know from this far ahead in time, but I, I believe that it may be a a, uh, a mythology having to do with an uh, an advanced civilization that existed maybe twelve, thirteen thousand years ago that mm -hmm. destroyed itself. So I think there's a good chance that there was an Atlantis, um, but again, I'm not definite about it. We were talking about reincarnation before we went to the break, and uh, you know. We were saying that reincarnation is a hope for people, that life continues after death. How can we prove reincarnation to be real? Well, I think that the work of Dr. Ian Stevenson was very compelling. He, uh, he would interview children as young as three, four, five years old who had conscious past life memories. These, would be, these are not hypnotized children. These mm -hmm. are children who are remembering this as soon as they can walk and talk. And I thought that was really compelling evidence, how they describe these past lives that they had lived, how they died, who their children were, things that you would not imagine a five or six year old would come up with, and that actually turned out to be verifiably true. So I think if we ever prove it, it'll be something along those lines. Jeff, as always, it's great talking to you. Um, what, what would you like to tell the Exxon Nation when it comes to what they believe or what they see or, or how they feel about the paranormal? Well, you know, I try to be open to different ideas. I don't ever say that this is true, this is not true. I try to look at the evidence. I try to gauge the person I'm talking to, see if they're credible to me. Uh, I'm just, I just would say be open to the mysteries around us, uh, but also be very careful not to just immediately embrace everything you hear as true. 
Jeff, give out your contact information and how people can uh, get your books. Yeah, you can uh, uh, get a hold of me through my uh, website, ourcuriousworld.com. I have an email link there if you want to send me a, a question or a comment. I'd be glad to hear them. And all my books are available on, on Our Curious World as well. Thanks a lot. My good friend, take care of yourself, Jeff. Always nice talking to you. And uh, until the next time we meet here in the X-Zone. Well, keep... thanks a lot, Rob. Right, I appreciate buddy. it. It's been a lot of fun. Take care of yourself, Jeff. Bye-bye. Jay Allen Danilek has been our guest this hour. His website is www.ourcuriousworld.com. That's www.ourcuriousworld.com. All right, Exxon Nation, when I come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, the angel lady returns to the Exxon, the one and only Sue Storm is my guest for the next hour. And she'll be doing angel readings for one and all who give us a call at one 877 Now, that's toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii at one 877 My name is Rob McConnell, and this is The Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. That's 7 p.m. Pacific until 11 p.m. Pacific. The Angel Lady and yours truly, Rob McConnell, will be back with you on the other side of this commercial break as we continue live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. On the same day. 